Amen. Thank you, guys. Hopefully my video is on. Uh, and Gareth, if you don't mind, try and turn as many video cameras on as you can, because of course we're going to be sharing our amens. And we'll press on with Zoom, even though it's been quite funny all morning. Um, it's fine for rehearsals, but it started playing up a little later on. So maybe that's good news. Maybe so many churches and people are now logging on um, to hear the word of God that Zoom is struggling. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, yeah, it's me here again, Andy. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the elders from Christ First Church who are currently gathering online. Um, and we're in a series um, around the book of Exodus. And uh, we're getting into some really iconic uh, stories of the Israelite people and uh, their journey out of Egypt. Tom covered it last week. I thought he did an excellent job, Tom, um, of just really talking about what was happening around the time of the Red Sea parting. We know that story. We're seeing enough pictures. And Charlton Heston, I think it was, wasn't it, who played him, uh, Moses, once. Uh, most of the people, by the way, you see playing Moses in most films are way too young. <laughs> He's in his 80s. But the plagues and, and Pharaoh's um, army being washed away, um, and I want, before I start, I want to just roll back a little bit. We're going to be doing chapters 15, uh, 22 to 17, 7. And we certainly are not going to be able to cover it all. But, um, but uh, we'll be covering that. But I want to go back a little bit into 15 just for a moment. I'm not going to read it. You can read it in your own time. But I want to talk about a church principle before I get into the main preach. Um, uh, Hannah Abraham will be the first person to shout this out, I bet. But Ed Sheeran's first number one in the UK was Sing. And I want to talk about singing, singing. Um, what is it that makes us want to sing? That's a line in the song, is it makes me want to sing. A celebration makes us want to sing. Uh, the achieving of a goal, a, a moment of something exciting happening. I wonder sometimes, and there was some sharing in our group uh, yesterday about birdsong in the morning. People were sending birdsong. Listen to this uh, in the morning. Why do the birds sing? They, I believe it's part of a celebration of the dawn. It's there's something about it um, that is celebratory when we sing melodious tunes. There are songs of lament, of course, there are, but, but often what bursts out of us is, is celebration and excitement. It comes out in song at a football match. It comes out in some awful songs, but that desire to sing uh, and to cheer and to celebrate. And salvation is marvelous. It's a marvelous thing, if, if that's not an understatement. And what you'll see in chapter 15 um, is the Moses leading the Israelites and they are singing and they sing again. They're singing in response. Um, we sing because God's work is amazing. So can I get an amen? Let's see some amens going up. Yeah. God's salvation is marvelous and it's worth singing about. We sing because we've repented and we believe in Jesus Christ as our saviour and we have been set free. That's the, the big story. So we sing a lot, a salvation work by God through the spirit because of his son and the truth declared. So we're going to sing. Amen. We're going to sing. We should sing of his greatness. And when you read that song of Moses in Exodus 15, I want you to notice one thing about it because it strikes me when I look at it. It's a, it's a big you song, a song about him. And if you think about the story that led into that, God's, it, when the plays come around saying, I am Yahweh, I am God. And Pharaoh's like, who is this God? And he, he proves by through the plagues, this is who I am. And, and when Moses and the, the Israelites respond after being set free and taken through the Red Sea, their response is to say, you are, you are, you are. It's all, of, you are amazing. You are God. You have saved us. Um, and I want us to think about that because 
a lot of modern Christian songs, and I'm a huge fan of modern Christian songs. You know, I'm a, a worship leader. I'm a musician. I enjoy the, the creative uh, uh, genius that goes into a lot of songs. But um, there's too many songs around that are me songs, not enough songs around that are you songs. And if I look at my Amazon playlist, as I was when I was doing this prep, I've got a lot of songs that are very me-centered. And actually, I would like to rebalance that with a bit more of glorifying God, a bit more stuff that looks to him and his amazing works and his amazing grace. So anyway, that's a preach for another day. God has done an amazing, amazing salvation work in anyone who will believe in him. And he's done an amazing salvation work in the Israelites and also us today. Amen. Amen. So hold on to that, because as we go through Exodus, it's going to prove that point. That, uh, and prove another point that not only has he done great things, but we can be fully forgetful. And I'm going to pick some lessons out of forgetfulness today. So we're going to go into Exodus 15 and we're going to go 22 to 25. It'll be on the screen, but if you have a Bible or a device, you can look at that on. Please go ahead and let me get it up on the screen for you. So it says this. Then Moses made Israel, that's the tribe, set out for, from the Red Sea, leaving Pharaoh and the his army washed away and went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Merab. They could not drink the water at Merab because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merab. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Now, as it says in that scripture there, which pause for a second, Marab means means bitter. That's what it, the word actually means. They named it. They said they called it it, but actually, if you look, read it, they named it that because of this is a place of bitter water. Um, and you're going to hear more names like that. You're going to hear a place called Mesa if you read later into these chapters. Uh, that means testing. And you're going to hear about Meribah, and that means quarrelling. Um, so places being named bitter, testing, and quarrelling gives you a clue about what's coming up that there is difficulty ahead as the people start to struggle with the reality of where they are now, which is, which is going through the wilderness. So I'll give you a clue about the whole thing. And, but God sorts out that bitter water issue. I'm not even going to get into the log, which is a, again, a preach in its own right. Um, but he's yet again, demonstrating his power, but through a human response. I think it's important to always note um, when you read your scriptures, watch what God does. He says, I could just change the water, but you need to participate. You need to throw a log in. You're thinking, a log, okay. But it's that I have faith in you to act upon this because you will do something amazing in my response by throwing this log. There's, there's a message in there for all of us. When God asks us to do things, you're thinking, or prompts us to do things, or we read scriptures that tell us to do things, you're thinking, no, it's not quite my way of doing it. I do it this way. I, I you know, present it this way. Sometimes God's saying, you know, you need more faith in me than that. Do it this way. Trust me, I will bring great things out of it. Anyway, you can imagine how we could preach for hours on little chunks of this section of scripture. But God sorts out the bitter water issue and yet again demonstrates his power. And then they move on to Elim, or Elim um, which is a sort of uh, oasis of sorts. It's a place where there was, there was um, some um, water and some place to rest. But then they move on into the wilderness, as we would call it now, uh, and it's called the Valley of Sin. And don't think that's sin as in Valley of Sinning. It's, it's Sinai sin. It's the place that um, you're going to see Mount Sinai in the region of Sinai. So S-I-N or Zin, as it's sometimes pronounced. Okay, 
So we end up here in 16.2. So let me just move us on. And we're going to look at what happens now. Because now they're in the wilderness. And it's not long after, obviously, they've moved on from Elim and into Sin, and they're moving on into the wilderness, it says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of the wilderness to kill us with this whole assembly with hunger. So what is that showing? What is that, what is that trying to show us? It's, it's showing us two things. Firstly, it's the propensity we have, the human nature, to forget God's works and God's works quite quickly. And that's not good. We've said it before. God has done marvelous things, but these are so quickly overshadowed by present challenges when things are going wrong. It isn't all peaches and cream to become a Christian, of course. It doesn't mean that everything in life is resolved. In fact, you know, there's, there's no indication of that whatsoever for, for some of us right now. But that's not the big story. The big story of salvation has come. God has set us free. Skip Heitzig, a guy I like to watch sometimes, he's very good at sort of walking through the Bible if you want to look him up on YouTube. Uh, Exodus 16, he says this simple phrase, we have a propensity to forget what we should remember and remember what we should forget. Let me say that again. Forget what we should remember and remember what we should forget. Meaning how quickly things can overshadow those amazing moments of God's grace. Because unbelief is a very strong current that pulls us back. And um, the scripture that Skip picked on as well, which is really important, is, is when you look at it, it's 2 Peter 1, 12 to 15. So New Testament, you know, Jesus has come. This is um, Peter speaking afterwards and he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities or these things. He's, speak, he's been speaking about Jesus Christ. Though you know them, you know them, and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right to stir you up by way of reminder that you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter's reminding us of how much we can forget the goodness of God and the things that he has done. Okay, so I think it's reassuring if not challenging sometimes, to me when I look at the Israelite people and I see how they could forget God's mercies when under trial, it's reassuring to know that. I, I think one of the things you always have to think about about the book of Exodus, Moses writes this story and, it, and he gives a very open account of what's going on. It's not sugar-coated. He, he talks about himself as someone who really was resistant to God and was inadequate and fought with God. And you think, I keep that bit out if I was you. Then he's leading a people and he is their leader. And essentially, it's not working out very well, very quickly. So it's a very honest um, thing, but it's not an excuse for us to, to follow that trait. It's a, it's a chance to learn and to do things about that, that human trait. Can I get an amen? It's been a while. Let's see those amens that we, we want to learn from Scripture, that we might um, do things that are different from those behaviours. Excuse me a sec. The other lesson, and it's particularly important, is that when we come to faith, or even when we come back to faith, when we've had moments of difficulty, maybe drifted away, um, from a worldly life, and by worldly life I mean the things of the flesh, lust, partying, with all that means, alcohol, drugs, but the idols of possession, financial securities, relationships, even family, things that become idols of our time, 
um, we have a propensity, propensity to remember these things um, and long for them through rose-tinted glasses, looking backwards and thinking, surely it was better back then because right now it's not as good. And, and back then things were a lot better. And it's a, it's a completely false picture to look back and remember the things or even imagine the things that are of the world with rose-tinted glasses. Um, forgetting the, the, the desperate moments of loneliness and the superficiality of all of that, that it wasn't satisfying deep needs, only superficial high frontal needs, but not really the deep, deep needs we have. And so we forget about the, the, the we see the, the, the things of the past as they did with these rose tinted glasses. Remember these people were slaves and yet they're talking about like having great food and, and eating to the full. They've got this very twisted view of what the worldly things were on offer because of just the current circumstances. So the two lessons that, um, that the Israelite people were, were looking to learn were these two critical things. Forgetting the songs of salvation and forgetting the shallowness of our idols. And so let's never forget that the greatest gift we could ever have received, the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sin that has separated us from God is the greatest gift we could ever receive. Amen? Amen? Let us never forget to recognize the shallowness of worldly idols versus our God, the great I am, the creator of all things, Yahweh, the Lord of lords, King of kings, the one who is above all things. Let's never forget that we have a relationship with him. Amen? Now, if I were God... <laughs> And you need to be very thankful that I am not. I'd be as effective as Jim Carrey in, uh, in that film. I'd be pretty angry right now. Let's be honest. I'd be pretty angry right now that I have done all these things and you are grumbling and moaning. And to be honest, I would say, well, go back then. And good luck getting back through the Red Sea, by the way. But back you go. Back to that life. And, and, and yet... This is, this is a beautiful lesson in, in this story of Exodus. God is slow to anger and he is rich, rich in love. We sung it. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and swift in love. He is slow to anger and he does not do what we would do to this ungrateful, forgetful, grumbling people. In fact, when we look at it in 16.4, it says this, 16.4 to 7, this is. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain down my wrath. No, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, to save time, the next 10 verses of Exodus basically repeats that. Aaron and Moses repeat that to the people. Uh, but I want to just pause for a moment and, and focus in on verse four, where it says that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. Hold on to that because it's going to come back many times in the weeks to come. God's patience and grace is absolutely astounding. God's patience, his compassionate, uh, compassion, his slowness to anger and his grace should astound us at times. And it's most starkly evident when it's totally clear that we do not deserve it. And yet he rains down bread from heaven, amen? He rains down bread from heaven. And whether we know him or we don't know him, the shock of salvation for me 
and the realization that despite all we have done in this life and all we have done in this world, and we're all participative of the mess that we've got things into as being very revealed in current circumstances. What do we do with our lives and how do we end up here when we're so desperate for things and, and lots of people are rethinking and we haven't treated the world well and the air is suddenly clear again and there's lots to think about right now. Let's not go down all those tracks. But in the middle of all that, God, God is slow to anger and swift in love and he's willing to forgive us for our sins. So it's most evident when we compare it to where we've got to that we don't really deserve it, but he offers grace to us. He offers grace to us. And uh, I was thinking about this and looking at Ephesians, uh, again, a scripture, a book I just love. We did a study on it years ago. And in Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, to amplify really what the Israelites are experience, experiencing, which is a gracious, patient God in the midst of you know, some pretty poor behavior, really, um, and us, we need to recognize this, this today because this is many, many years after uh, the Israelites. And we're in Ephesians and it says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, or dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. <laughs> it gets me oh, so reassured and, and so thankful to God. And the third lesson of the Israelites was this, that they were forgetting repeatedly the patience and the beauty of God's lavish grace that they were forgetting that that god was forgiving them many times and providing them and that was an act of grace uh okay so let's let's just go to the center of verse 16 and you may be surprised um to hear i'm not going to spend ages talking about and explaining what bread from heaven uh, was what it looked like um or what it's not like but but let's just talk about that a little bit um as we go into this so and it says there was quails and small birds coming down from heaven. But one thing is it didn't look like this. It didn't look like cloudy with a chance of meatballs. There was, there was food coming down from heaven, but this is, this is not what we need to picture, okay? That's not the, the reality of this situation. This is what it says. It says, and when, they, um, and when the juice, this is when they got up in the morning, there was small birds, quails, and there was uh, a mist over the, the camp. It says this, and when the dew had gone, there was on the face of the wilderness fine flake, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? And I don't know if you know this, and, and to me it's, it was interesting when I first found it out. Um, bread from heaven is later referred to in these, these verses as manna from heaven. And we think, oh, manna, manna's its name, right? It's, it's bread from heaven called manna. Um, not so, um, most people would agree. It's actually the adaptation of a Hebrew word, meaning, what is it? So it's, it's from a, uh, the expression is, is from manhu, actually, is the, the, what we translated into English, and it, come, it basically means, what is it? So if you asked manna, what is it? You could get the answer, yes, correct, you know? <laughs> um, stay with me, it's fine. Um, but that's how it got its name, name's manna. So the answer to the question, uh, what are we having for dinner tonight, mum, back then would be, well, quail, and what is it? And so you can picture the conversation, okay? Well, quail, what is it, mum, with the quail? Yes, correct. Huh? 
you know, the loop will go on forever. But what is it is this, we don't quite know what this is, which is, which is a point that this is not human stuff. This is not cloudy with a chance of meatballs. This is, we don't know what that is. Um, we've not seen it before. It's not something we've, we've saw when we got here. It's not something we know. This is something else because it's indescribable because it's heavenly supernatural provision. And that's an important, not, not to be dismissed point about manna. It's what is it? Don't really know. It's something God has sent. And there's some deep lessons here as we go into uh, verses 16 to 21. And let me, let me read them to you and then we'll look at what's being said here. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall eat, take, each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but they measured it with an omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, but the sun grew hot, and it melted. Okay. So if you're wondering what an omer is, by the way, that's cleared up later in verse 36. Very simply, an omer is a tenth of an epa. Okay. <laughs> Amen. I, I don't even know what an epa is, but uh, most people think that's about two liters. Not that this is important. Uh, so an omer is about two liters, but now you know two liters is a tenth of an epa. Pub question coming up, I guess, at some point in the future. But what's actually going on here? Why is there such demanding restrictive instructions and why is this to be daily only and why on the sixth day are they gathering twice as much that that did not rot but every other day it would disappear and rot and that was because of what will come up later especially when we hit the ten commandments too about keeping the sabbath day holy a day of rest and therefore god's miraculous provision not only in this indescribable thing called manna what is it but also it behaves differently on a Saturday. And in case you're starting to wonder, and I think this is not an unrealistic thing, this is all getting a bit fairy tale, isn't it? I mean, we've got pied red seas, we've got this weird bread stuff, manna coming. I, I want to remind us, this is God. This is God. Let's not restrict God's capabilities by our human framing. This is God. So what's the lesson in all of this? There's multiple lessons in that chunk of scripture there. It is trusting in God's provision, for sure. And let's just think about the backdrop for a moment, because I want to I repeat that. This is God, remember. This is God. There's arguments that say, the Israelites that left Egypt, 60,000, that's the lowest you're going to hear. 2.4 million, that's probably one of the higher ones you're going to hear. Somewhere in that range. I ain't going to bother with worrying if, if that's right or wrong. Feeding 60,000 or 2.4 million or 1 million people for 40 years, that's impossible, unless it's through God. That's who we're worshipping. A God beyond limit, beyond human comprehension. Can I get an amen? That's the God we worship. That's why we sing. And that's when we realise how awesome that word should be reserved for him only. He is. Because he provided food for a nation for 40 years in the desert. 
and he provided it supernaturally. But why the daily? Why, why just enough? Uh, and if you have too much, it's just going to basically decay. What's the value? What's the, what's the point of this? And this is a lesson to the Israelites, but it's a lesson to us. It's a, it's a clear lesson crying out from this section of Exodus. It's about God's provision over self-reliance. It's about faith versus fear. Something they're going to forget multiple times. They're going to try and take too much control by instructing, requesting, and you're going to see them carve idols later. And they're going to, get, they're going to interfere because they're not reliant on God. We take too much control of our lives. We build up, we store up, we ferret away. And our security then becomes kind of a mixture of God and my job. God and my current bank balance. God and, and the lesson of the Israelites is, no, it's just God. It's just God. And he will meet and provide for you. And if you up yourself, you kind of leave less space for him to move in. And we don't develop, what I've said before, um, is those faith muscles are important to us. Going through moments of trial, going through moments of testing, and staying faithful to God and thinking, this is difficult, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the church community around me to support me, and I will get through this. Builds up your faith muscle, muscle rather than always trying to intervene and do everything ourselves. And I'm not against us trying to, to work hard and provide for ourselves. That's not the point. But when it becomes, that's my security now, and God as well, maybe, then God has become much smaller and our securities have become much bigger. And I'm guilty of this. I confess to you, I'm guilty of this. I can, it can easily ruin you. It can easily ruin me if I become so fixated on what I need to do to make sure that everything stays the way it is. It's fear over faith. And it's only by God's grace he's continued to challenge me and he's asking me always, right now, right in the middle of all this, brothers and sisters, no more has he, uh, uh, in my life, I've ever felt this more of a question. Do I trust him? Do I trust him? Not that this life would be peachy, not that everything would go exactly as I hope it would, but ultimately, do I trust him that I will not falter, I will not slip, I will not fall, and that I am saved? I, do I trust him? Because scripture's crying out to us. He is a trustworthy God and he will not let us down. Amen? And daily, daily was part of the lesson. The Israelites, daily, it's different, but it's another one to remember. It was saying they had to go out daily to literally eat enough food. For us, it's to remember to come to God to be sustained, but it's the same thing. It might be different, but it's the same. To be sustained. You know, we don't have time today to get into what happens in chapter 17. <coughs> Excuse me. But God brings water from a rock because they're thirsty to prove that, come to me and I will sustain you. And those lessons, they just echo into today. Do we come to the Father in bursts, just occasional moments? Is Sunday the most time that we spend with God? Is that the most time we do uh, by, a, by a large margin? You know, and it just hopefully it'll get us through seven more days because that's not what he asks and not what he offers. And it's grace, people. It's grace. It's not legalism. It's not, I must do this every day. It's a grace gift. Come to me daily and I will refresh you and I will restore you and I will sustain him. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true. And yet somehow in the rigor of daily life and, the, and even now it's still for many of us quite chaotic, we lose sight of that. And there's a lesson, it's a lesson I think I'm relearning in this season. 
And that's why on Friday, if you watched it, I posted my message at 7 a.m. in the morning. It was a conscious decision. You know what? I want us to start the day with him, not end the day, maybe with him. And for that particular message, I wanted to bring it out and say, let's start the day with him. I can't post them every day, Aaron, and I can't, but it's that reminder. And I don't know about you, but for me, Friday felt like, well, I started in the right place. Was it a great day? It was pretty mixed, but I felt closer to God because I started there. Manna is an example of daily provision and faith in God. But now we have something better than manna. What is it? We have Jesus. We don't need to ask the question, what is he? We know who he is. He's the savior king. He's the promised Messiah. He's the one that has taken our sin upon his shoulders. We don't need to ask what is, on a, what is it on a daily basis for Jesus. We know who he is. We have the word of God to help us know who he is, to help us know who God is and what he has done. We have the Holy Spirit, the breath of God to help us to not only read this stuff, but actually take it in and take full advantage of that, the power that is within us, the helper that dwells within us to take us through this life. Jesus himself pointed this out after feeding the 5,000 with physical bread. He said this in John, this is John 6, 32, and this is 1,400 years later. I'm just skipping past all the lessons because I'm sure I've said them anyway. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. Because he, this is the Jewish people saying, our forefathers received bread from heaven. Who are you? And he said, listen, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They asked for that. And if there's any confusion, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So my lesson in love is all, in all of this is this, and I hope it's ours too that I need to remember that I can be fully forgetful. I need to lay aside my ways, my methods, and trust in him far more to meet my needs, and my deepest needs he meets regularly. Have faith that I will not fall or fail if I remain faithful to him and abide in him, rest in him, believe in him, trust in him, and come to him daily through the word, through prayer, and in fellowship because we've got this gracious and compassionate, this grace saturating, this grace is lavished on us, this gift from God, daily sustaining, this patient, loving, good, good father. We have that. So I need to ask one last question of you. Do we agree? And if so, can we lift up our amens? That's the God that loves us and the God we serve. There is no condemnation in any of this conviction and grace abounds in God. He was patient with the Israelites. He's patient with us as we come to him. 